Hello and welcome back to the itinerary. Thank you so much for tuning in wherever you're listening to this podcast, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, we're here for you. I am Jared Schwartz. I am Melissa Schwartz. And welcome back. Thanks so much uh, to Sam's Taylor for last week. That was great from Hong Kong, telling all you travelers how you can get your custom suit made. We have another great guest coming your way on this episode. It's Elaine Glusak. She is a New York Times travel contributor. She's been doing it for a long time, uh, almost 15 years now, has written for many, many different publications, but the New York Times is her bread and butter. Um, She wrote a great story this week. Um, You know all those alerts and uh, cheap flights that you guys get in your email or on your social media. I know I get them all the time. She really did the research. about 10 a minute. Yeah, all the time. Um, so she sifted through all the research. She talked to the, the main players. And uh, she wrote a great article this week in the New York Times. So we have her on talking about that. Uh, she does the popular 36 Hours column as well. So it's like my travel Bible. Right. You always refer to that. So we're going to talk to Elaine Glusak coming up. Uh, also... As well, fall is here. The temperatures have dropped, at least in the Northeast. Uh, what do they say? It's apple picking season, Melissa? Oh, it is. Pumpkin season. Uh, the leaves are a-changing. Pumpkin spice latte season. Oh, uh, yeah, it's back. Basic bitch I'm not, season. I'm not a big fan, but uh, yeah, I'm a fan of the cooler temperatures, that's for sure. Um, so if you want to get in on the fall travel, there are a lot of points and miles specials going on right now. Um, I encourage you to go to the website, theitinerarytravel.info, click on the Contact Us tab at the top, and send in where you want to go, where you're thinking of, what your points and miles situation is. We're going to get you the best value out there. So instead of spending five, six, seven thousand $7,000 for an international trip, uh, you want to go in those live flat business seats that Melissa loves. That's the only way she travels now. You spoiled me. That's right. Send in your message and we'll get it going for and you. And listen, Elaine wrote a great article about frugal travel deals. But you know what's better than a cheap flight? A, a free, free flight! flight! That's right. So get in touch. Go to the itinerarytravel.info. Send us in a message. Let's get our guest on. We're ready to go. It's Elaine Glusak from the New York Times. And here she is. Very pleased to be joined on this episode by our special guest, Elaine Glusek. She is a New York Times travel contributor. You can find her on Instagram, at eglusek, and on Twitter as well, at Elaine Glusek. So welcome, Elaine. Thanks for joining us. Oh, gosh. Thanks for having me so much. Before we we get into travel overall, I know you're out in Chicago, so i got to ask you, best deep dish pizza in (laughs) Chi-Town. That, yes, we are the home of deep dish pizza. I gotta say, it's uh, those are fighting words, uh, you know, when you talk about what's the best pizza, New York or Chicago. Uh, I personally like thin crust, but uh, a lot of people love the love the fat pies here. Um, I'm with you on the thin crust. Huh. I keep I keep going to Chicago and I keep trying different deep dish. You keep I, getting disappointed, right? I keep getting disappointed. Yes. Yeah, it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to go on a limb here and say, like, I don't know a lot of Chicagoans that eat deep dish pizza. I feel like a lot of travelers come here to try it, which is great. You should try it once. Um, but we got a lot of other artisan purveyors that are worth trying. 
Oh yeah, Chicago has an amazing food scene. Um, so maybe I'll just continue to stick to uh, that other food scene the next time I'm there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, do that. I, I recommend that. So one of the things that popped out at me before we get into big picture travel also is I saw you have the special skill of you can order a beer in 12 languages. And I was like, whoa, that's very impressive. What are those 12 languages? Uh-oh, but you have to understand, like, in Eastern Europe, you can use TiVo everywhere, from, like, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Montenegro, Croatia, and everyone's going to know what you mean. So I'm kind of covered on a lot of those just with the word TiVo. Very useful word. Okay, fair enough. Um, you've pretty much written for every publication in the lifestyle space, uh, I counted 74 different ones. I may be even a little shy. I don't know if you have the, the right number at this point, but that list includes some of Melissa's brands also, like Bon Appetit and Condé Nast Traveler over the years. How have you seen this industry change uh, you know, just over the last five years or so? Oh, wow. First of all, good job counting. I stopped <laughs> counting a while ago. Um, and, and part of the reason I stopped counting is that like a lot of them went away, which is, you know... You know, you remember the sad day when Gourmet Magazine went out of business, and and uh, now um, National Geographic Traveler just announced it's not publishing a print edition mm. after, um, yeah, in the new year, come the new year. So um, that's a big change, um, as Melissa likely knows. Um, you know, print is kind of shrinking. Um, there's a lot more digital, and, and that's good. More opportunity to write there. Not sure the money is totally followed on the digital side, but but there's some signs. Um, that it's picking up. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that's probably the biggest, just the, um, the shrinking of the market in general. When you work for, you know, many different outlets and you, you freelance write, um, do you you feel that there's more opportunities now with all the digital platforms? The, the money may not match up, but, like, if someone is a writer, loves to write, are, are those opportunities still out there just in a different form? Yeah, I actually, um, I actually do. I feel pretty optimistic about that um and i'm hoping the money will get there it's not there yet it's not the same as print um but i am hearing from a lot of sites that they want to do more long form mm-hmm. uh long form journalism which is really um exciting uh, i was at a writers conference last week and a lot of people were saying yeah we actually think that long form is doing really well um at dot com so that's an interesting development we'll see if that holds um but yeah i think there's there's still a market for really good writing and really good reporting and just, you know, people love stories. Yeah, we do too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's it. Um, and we're, we're even trying to give it, you know, in the audio form here and doing these international travel reviews that really nobody else in the market is doing. And, you know, instead of sifting through, you know, thousands of, re- of written reviews online. Of like you know, user-generated content. Yeah, like but... you, you can you know, like you do for something we'll talk about later in the podcast, the 36 hours, we try and give 45 minutes on an international destination and just things have, have evolved and changed. And, um, yeah, it's interesting to see if the money follows, I would say. Yeah. I just like, I can't have my mom quote like a Yelp review or a TripAdvisor review one more time. I'm like, these people, they're, they're like, they have no authority. Like (laughs) there are so many other better places that I could show you to look for things. Right. And, and I want to say one thing about your podcast, which I enjoy. It's like, it's like, um, 
it's like slow travel. It's like, hey, we're going to stay here with this topic for 45 minutes, mm-hmm. and you're going to really learn something. And I think that's uh, a really great thing about medium and what you guys are doing with your podcast. It's um, the way people should travel, and I don't always get to travel like that. Um, so <laughs> I enjoy listening in to people that are taking their time and really observing things and, and bringing it back and telling people about it. We appreciate that. Um, when you look at travel this year, 2019, what are the big storylines? What has stood out to you or even changes in the industry as a whole? Um, well, in terms of that story, uh, spring topics are things that I'm covering a lot. Um, there's been a lot of topics last week uh, in the conference on climate change, um, and a lot of people in the travel space came out with um, with goals and programs to get on board um, to reduce their carbon footprint, like um, getting rid of um, plastic bottles, um, Norwegian food line ships, um, uh, and things like that. So a lot for wellness, people are seem to be really interested in. Um, you know, taking a break, using travel to really recharge themselves, um, not just with like a change of pace, but maybe doing something very, um, um, uh, you know, health stimulating, you know, like whether it's a meditation retreat or a silent retreat or a yoga retreat or just, you know, hiking around and not having access to digital devices. Um, I did a story uh, for the New York Times in August on a portion of the California coast that's called the Lost Coast, and it feels like it's lost in plain sight because it's California, but it's like an area of California that's so beautiful and rugged and on the coast, but there's no cell service, and so you go there for a weekend, and you just feel completely cast back in time uh, where you're, you know, walking these beaches, and it's sort of these silent meditations on nature because, you know, you're not getting update alerts on uh, what's happening in the world. Yeah, very different. <laughs> yeah, we had that when we we went on safari to South Africa last November, and there was Wi-Fi at the like central lodge where we were staying, but our actual room did not have Wi-Fi, and it was it was very nice to like not Ma- able... mandatory unplugging. Yeah, it was it was honestly the first time I, I had ever had that as an adult, so it was great. Yeah, and I think sometimes we need that man, you know, we need that mandate, right? Because we're, you know, we're sort of expected to keep in touch, and it's hard. But right. when you really can't, uh, it's kind of great. You have an excuse. Yeah. How long have you been contributing to The Times? Um, oh, that's a really good question. You can see that I'm really bad with numbers. <laughs> um, I have been uh, probably there for 15, well, over 10 years for sure. Um yeah, probably close to 15, maybe, when I first started contributing. Um, yeah, really enjoy working with the paper. Uh, and how did you, like, get involved with them from the start, obviously, being in the Midwest, in Chicago? Like, did you have a connection over there, or how did this all come about, and how did it keep going over these 10, 15 years? Yeah, I, I did not know anyone, but I kept knocking on the door, and that sort of... A, uh, it's sort of what you have to do as a freelancer anyway. Mm-hmm. You have to keep trying. And it was always sort of my goal was to write for them. I had been one of those, like, 
one of those geeks. Like, my parents always got the New York Times, even though we didn't live in New York. We lived in the Midwest, and every week I would, like, cut out a travel story. And I had, like, this is, like, going back to, like, elementary school. Like, and I would have these big files of, like, Italy, you know, or England, <laughs> South America. And, um, and they were always these time stories, and they were really interesting. And um, so I always wanted to write for them, and I just kept trying. And, like, one day... I sent in a story idea, and it just caught someone's attention. It's what they used to call over the transom, but nobody really um, knows what that means anymore. There used to be transom windows above people's doors, and you could sort of, like, send a, a letter in that way. Oh, wow. Um, so, it's, yeah, no, I know. It's, it's such an antiquated term, but it's a great, it's a great term. Um, but, yeah, so, it, I mean, someone finally, like, maybe they thought I was just trying them so much and um they read one of my emails and 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 then they assigned a story and um as a freelancer the only way to get the next story is to do a really good job on the one you're assigned um and keep it going that way make it easy and your editor i'm sure melissa knows all this like you just want to be you want to be the go-to person you want to do a really good job be accurate be thorough and um and tell a really interest, interesting story and then Hopefully they'll come back to you and assign some more stuff. And and they have over the years. Um, they assigned you a, a lot of more stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, so your recent article in the New York Times, it caught my eye. We really wanted to have you on to discuss it um, for a number of reasons, but it's under the category that they have uh, frugal traveler, and it's called those irresistible price alerts. It sparked my interest for a number of reasons, but really because I'm constantly inundated with emails and posts and can't miss fares. And sometimes those are good. Sometimes they're actually misleading. So um, why don't you describe the article and what you found out? Yeah, so we wanted to um, look for ways. We're always looking for ways that people can save. Um, the frugal traveler column is really popular because um, you know, people want to travel and they want to you know, save their money, you know, to do exciting things and not spend it all on airfare. Mm. Um, so this whole idea of price alert has been um, brewing for a while. There's, as you said, there's a lot of, um, you know, airlines, I get an email like every other day from Air Canada, yeah. um, you know, with a sale. Um, but there's these secondary services that we found that um, sort of dipped through all of the deals and then they use their programming to determine whether it's a good deal or not. Um, so we sort of surveyed those, um, to say, you know, is it worthwhile and what does it take? Um, you know, how much involvement do you need? Um, do you need to pay? Are you going to get inundated with emails? Are these really good fares? If you choose a fare, how do you actually buy it? Um, so it's really sort of surveyed all of those services. Um, and I would say like, I, I feel like I discovered some really good stuff just in the course of researching this story. Uh, but I will say it was, it's like it was the hardest story to research because I was, I had signed up for something called Secret Flying. And Secret Flying sends push um, notifications to your phone, you know, like you would get with like the Yankee score. And, <laughs> and like I, I'm working on this, on this deadline and they're like, hot, $272 to go Chicago to, to Barcelona. You know, look at now, and I'm like, oh my god, I so want to do that. That's less than it costs for me to go to Denver. I'm like, yeah, so it's really distracting. Um, I got like $500 round trip to Cairo, 
um, $112 the other day, uh, round trip to LA, which was really amazing. Um, and did you so book yeah, all of these or, or you just found them? No, 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 I just found them very distracting. No, got I didn't buy them. Yeah, got it. <laughs> <laughs> I wish, I wish. <laughs> I mean, some of the company, I to people who bought them. some of the companies you mentioned in the article, uh, you just mentioned secret flyer, uh, Matt's flights, Scott's cheap flights. They're all kind of doing the same thing, right? They let you have a free trial and then charge a certain amount per month for their tips and deals. How, how did they get them? Like, how did they put it all together? And do you think it's legit? Um, it's, it sounds, you know, based on the people that I talked to that use the services, yes, it's legit. Um, most of them have like a free membership, but you don't get the absolute best deals. So they save their best deals, which they call quote unquote mistake fares which is when the airline makes a mistake and, you know, for example, and um, accidentally prices um, a round-trip flight between, like, New York and England for $69. And you're, you know, and they um, obviously didn't mean to do that, but they will honor it for as long as it's on their website. So those sort of mistake fares all seem to go out to the paid subscribers of Scott's um, cheap sites and, and maps and so forth. Um, the... Paid subscriptions are not a lot, so it really depends on, you know, is it worth it to you? Is it worth $49? Well, that depends on how much you travel. Mm-hmm. Um, I talked to some people who travel a lot, and they thought it was really invaluable because they felt like they were saving 50% at least on every airfare they booked. Um, so so that's a very subjective calculation, I would say. But the, the, the deals seem legit. Um, a lot of them don't sell the tickets themselves they just um use their programs to find the fares and then they help you the consumer um navigate like google flights or whatever um booking engine it is to help you get that fare so we talk a lot on the podcast about points and miles and i have a travel consultancy um the itinerary travel.info that helps people um travel without spending thousands and thousands of dollars to maximize those points and miles. Did you find with any of these services that they were providing tips on saver awards or anything to do with points and miles, or was it all cash-based? Yeah, I would say that is the downfall of these services. They are really not good if you're trying to maximize uh, uh, miles. Um, You know, there's other ways to deal with miles, but these guys are really just, it's just cash. Mm-hmm. Um, so we covered that in we covered miles and um, in other like airline booking tax stories, um, and I personally use miles a lot, um, and I don't I don't think these services are good for that. You're not going to get you know right. the two hundred seventy two dollar round <laughs> trip to, to Barcelona for <laughs> with your miles, unfortunately. Where does the OTA stand in all of this? Like, even though travel agencies have tried to evolve over the years, I think? Are they on the outside looking in with all these separate companies just pushing these ridiculous, you know, fares down consumers' throats? Oh, you mean like, um, well, most of these you, you then have to book through an OTA. Okay. You know, or they're going to send you to an aggregator or something like that. Do you mean like traditional agents, traditional travel agents? Yeah, like they're trying to um, reinvent themselves or even like uh, it seems like all these – these companies that you found and that you wrote about in the article are really just for research purposes. And then obviously you have to book through another platform. Yeah, that's right. And, and, 
And you're right. And I, I recently um, did a story about the role, the modern role of the travel agent. And um, the piece that isn't out yet, it did for National Geographic Traveler. And um, most of them say, hey, we're out of the airfare game domestically. If you want a book that, um, you know, ticket to Cleveland to see your relatives, you know, you're better off on your own. But they make the case that they actually do um, – uh, they actually can get better deals than the average consumer with international flights. Now, I, I can't say that this is true because um, I, I actually want to try it myself. Right. Um, but a lot of times, um, traditional travel agents, who now call themselves travel advisors, um, are um, they link flights up with ground travel, so it might be a tour or a hotel. Um, and somehow through that packaging, they get access to fares that they've contracted with the airline. So... They say that they can get better deals um, on on international flight. So I I, I don't know for sure, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm willing to give that a try. I hope to get that a try sometime. <laughs> I think like yeah. people see the headline New York to Barcelona. $250 round trip and immediately think, okay, this is happening. I need to book this right now. I've spoken to friends like even personally who have done this on the spot. And I'm like, did you read the fine print? Because it's not a direct flight. It's in basic economy with restrictions. There's blackout dates. Are these things made clear by, you know, the companies and the people that you've talked to who provide these alerts? Yeah, no, you make a very good point about that. Like when I looked into the Barcelona um, trip, it wasn't direct. I had to go through D.C., which I didn't think was bad. I still thought before the price it wasn't bad. But, yes, it would. It was on United and it would have been in basic economy, mm-hmm. which, again, I was like, well, but, it's, you know, it's like 75% off. It's, you know, it depends on how much you want to go. But the dates were limited. Like, right. that's the thing with all of these services. It's all tied to dates. So it really benefits the flexible traveler, someone who, like, is, you know, can take off, you know, next month or figure it out. Um I, I guess that's not always the case. Some people told me that they use these services a lot, and they they know that um, fares come up often enough they can take advantage of it. I don't know. I, I think that depends on your tolerance for risk. Like, I'm not sure I want to wait until a month or two out before I know if I have my airfare to Sydney, Australia. So I think it depends on your tolerance for risk. Yeah, I read your article. I would agree with that, your tolerance for risk. And also you brought up a really good point in your article that like if you have limited amount of time that you want to go someplace, these services probably aren't the best because this like these services are great. Like if you have a lot of flexibility and you're open to going to a variety of different places, if you're like, I want to go to Riviera Maya, April 20th through the 25th, that's probably not your best bet. But Jared and I always have this conversation because I like am not like I am very risk averse. So I want to like book a flight, lock in my in my rate. And he's like, no, like, let's wait it out. And I'm like, the anxiety and like the amount of therapy that I need, like knowing that I don't have these flights, it's honestly like it would be cheaper to just like book the flight now and potentially pay more. Oh, I totally agree. I feel like that is part of the cost of travel right I'm like no I don't want to experience that anxiety I just want to know I have that ticket I want to know I'm going I'm with if you it's like hundred dollars more I'm okay <laughs> Jared doesn't agree though I think it, it's there's also like the psychology of the traveler which is like an important oh, thing yeah. I agree 
when you were done writing this article and obviously doing all the research and talking to people beforehand, do you see these flight deals as being a good thing for the traveler or do you find it misleading like overall? And if people do value a good deal, what's the best website or app you came across? No, I think they are a value. I think um, I think what we're finding is that like they're able to use these automated programs to really sift through a lot of data and find the gems that are out there. And as Melissa and I just discussed, like yeah. it's kind of hard with your dates. And um, but if you're really flexible, I do feel like these are a good deal. Um, I thought I thought Secret Flying came up with the most amazing deals, and maybe it's just because I'm still I can't wean myself from it. I'm still getting their push alert, so <laughs> I, I quit. But I just love seeing what's what's possible, you know. Um, and I think Scott um, Scott what is he called? Scott Cheap Flight. A lot of people really like Scott, so he's been around for a while. Um, so I think that's a testament to um, I mean he's got a big community, like half a million subscribers or something. Um, uh, Max Flight says they are newer, and they say they have half a million people, too. Um, I, I don't know about that. Um, but certainly, I, I met a lot of fans of Scott's. And, um, yeah, I think I think they are a good thing. Okay. Um, just wanted to touch on one other thing that you have done for a long time with the New York Times, and that's the 36 Hours series. It's really a staple of the Times. I find it fascinating really because we've done a bunch of these types of trips internationally, not for 36 hours, but probably three nights um, to Europe. We just did one to Banff outside of Calgary in Canada. I mean, 36 is is really quick, especially for international travel. And people always ask us, like, how and why do you do it? Uh, so you've done a bunch of these. And most recently, you were in British Columbia out there. I know you're writing the article now, so we won't give everything away, but... What's your overall feeling on the 36-hour trips? How do you map it out, and what do you do to maximize your time? Yeah, as you guys know, that's not a lot of time, really. We sort of say it's Friday, like, you know, middle of the day Friday to, like, Sunday morning. Um, And it's sort of like your ideal trip. Like, if you used your time absolutely the best possible way you could and squeeze, you know, wrung everything out of that day, especially Saturday, this would be your perfect trip. Um, so we know that people don't always travel like that, but it does give them like a lot of ideas for what the gems are in a city or in a region. Um, so to do that, like when I go out into the field and do that, like before I step foot on the ground, like I've done weeks and weeks of research and planning. And I usually have like a really packed itinerary that I've created for myself. And then once I hit the ground, I kind of like, you know, uh, leave a little wiggle room in case I find, you know, you know, good advice from locals while I'm having a beer or, you know, discover, you know, some, you know, crazy museum I wasn't expecting and it turns out to be amazing and that curator tells me about, you know, an archaeological site. So I try to, um, I try to, I do pack the itinerary, but I give myself like enough padding between activities in case something comes up. I have time to, like, check it out. Um, But it's, like, you know, it's pretty much, like, dawn to midnight kind of work. But it's really fun. It's super fun. Like, I I really love it. Um, Because I feel like it forces me to, like, do a lot of research beforehand and and, uh, to find all those gems. And then then hopefully I'm surprised by something really cool that I didn't know about. 
Yeah, that, that's always special when you find that out. Um, we're both big foodies. Um, in our apartment, our artwork is actually tasting menus from uh, all around the world. I think we're up to 30-something right now. It, it, it's getting out of hand. We're running out of walls in our one-bedroom apartment. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Um, so when you map out the food scene, which is a big thing for every traveler, I think, um, in these cities that probably you haven't been to before, are you going with classics in your research? Are you going with the hot new restaurants? Is it a mix or, or what do you try and, and hit? Yeah, it's kind of a mix. I think, um, with 36 hours, we try to be, um, newsworthy. So we're, we're picking a place that has something to talk about. Uh, there's some reason that we're there going there, uh, or going there again. Um, you know, either we have a different cake on the city or there's something, um, new. And so when it comes to like food, especially in cities, that you know, it's really hard cause you're only going to pick out what we always talk about. Like you could take a whole 36 hours just out of eating, you know, and right. so, like, well, we, we don't want to do junk food, you know? Mm-hmm. So, you know, you try to do like, you know, four or five places over that weekend, and I usually try to just um, throw in, like, a classic. Um, like, I was recently in Albuquerque, New Mexico, and did a 36 Hours that appeared a couple weeks ago. And so I did um, Duran's Pharmacy, which has, like, it's a diner, but it, it does, like, New Mexican food. And it's just, like, you can't miss it because it's just so unique and so Albuquerque. But then I did, like, for dinner, I did, you know, the hot new restaurant Campo at um, Los Poblanos Resort, which is super fun to table and very stylish. Yeah, so we try to like try to like blend both of those things, and while also kind of nodding to, hey, we we know we're not like the last word on food here. This mm-hmm. is, these, these are just a few ideas. Yeah, you um, want to give an overall view of what you can do for a quick trip there. Right, and kind of a range, like you said, from mm-hmm. like classic to like new and trendy. So what were your overall thoughts on British Columbia? I know you were outside of, of Vancouver. Um, how did it stack up to the other 36-hour journeys you've had? Oh, uh, British Columbia is so beautiful. Um, it's I was um, north of Vancouver in an area called the Sunshine Coast, which is really unique because it's on the mainland, but you have to take a ferry to get there because the mountains that um, back up to it are so rugged, there's no roads that go there. Um so you leave Vancouver and you drive up to the ferry terminal. It's maybe 20 minutes from downtown. And then you get a 45-minute ferry north. And it just feels like you're in um, this other world. You know, quite small towns, really beautiful, rugged coastline, great beach combing, um, you know, inlets, calm inlets for kayaking, really amazing seafood, um, some really interesting um, First Nations culture there. And um, lots of great hiking and uh, rainforests that are just like, you know, green and mossy from all the rain they get. And um, so, if you need a raincoat, I will say that it's called the Sunshine Coast, but it's like a rainforest. <laughs> and fortunately, I had this is so stupid. I had forgotten my raincoat, and I've been to British Columbia, so I know this. But you know, like everyone, sometimes I pack badly. And um, I was so fortunate because I got on the ferry and I was like, oh my gosh, it's going to rain for three days. And there's a shop on the ferry and it sells like everything you would want for outdoors. Like, you know, raincoats, umbrellas, I mean, boots, everything. And I'm shopping in there 
So I buy a really wonderful like Gore-Tex raincoat and I'm talking to some people on the ferry and they're like, and they live in the region and they're like, yeah, we do a lot of Christmas shopping here because the ferry shop is really, really good. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm assuming for this, you fly into Vancouver and then how far is the drive to where you were? Yeah, so you fly into Vancouver, and then um, I spent the night in Vancouver, and then it's about a 20-minute drive from downtown Vancouver to Horseshoe Bay Ferry Terminal, and then uh, you get on the ferry. It's about a 45-minute ferry ride. Um, You get off, and uh, I had a rental car. It's it's definitely an area you need a rental car. Mm -hmm. Um, That's the only thing. They do have a bus system, and there were plenty of people that were getting sort of on and off the ferry with bikes, too, Um, and some people were getting on and off by foot. Um, and then they were taking buses. There's buses that go, that connect downtown Vancouver um, to the ferry um, port, and then up in the Sunshine Coast, there are buses. Um, It would just be a lot slower, and I could never cover enough ground. Um, (laughs) Yeah, and and meet my budget that way, but um, it kind of expedites everything out there if you have a car. So for every international destination, we give a score and we call it passport stamps. So for British Columbia, how many passport stamps, zero through 10, would you give it and why? Oh, my gosh. Like um, zero being like don't go and 10 being, you know, bucket list kind of thing? Correct. Okay. Um, I mean, British Columbia is pretty special. Um, I, I would give it like a nine. I gotta say, I, I feel like, and a lot of this is my feelings about nature. I mean, it's a really beautiful area if you're an outdoors person, um, and it has a lot of um, extra elements that you maybe don't expect, like the cultural, the First Nations culture, both in Vancouver and up in the Sunshine Coast, and even out in Whistler. Um, there's really wonderful museums and really great art. Um, the First Nations people of the Pacific Northwest um, uh, are really well known for their art, and they trace it back to the fact that they were from this very lush, rich, and food-rich environment where the, um, the salmon were really plentiful. So instead of having to forage um, and um, be nomadic, they had a lot of time to spend on art, and you can really see that in um, you know carvings and graphic design. Um, and woodwork, and um, so that's a really, it's a nice blend of culture and nature. Any, um, okay, so nine passport stamps. Um, Any upcoming articles that uh, listeners should be on the lookout for? Um, You know, this week, we, I reported on um, Airbnb is launching a new division called Animal Experiences, and uh, they worked with World Animal Protection to, um, to ensure that all of their animal experiences around the world are, um, are ethical. Uh, so that was, it was kind of a big week for um, animal tourism, if you will. TripAdvisor announced that it was dropping um, ticket sales to SeaWorld. So there's a lot of attention to um, animal welfare right now, which I think is really interesting. Um, Airbnb, I'm sorry I didn't mention it, but Airbnb Experiences is the activities arm of Airbnb, the home share platform. Um, so there, that was their news, and that'll be out um, this weekend. 
Okay, great. Um, Elaine Glusak, New York Times travel contributor. You can find her on Instagram at eglusak and on Twitter as well at Elaine Glusak. Uh, thanks so much for coming on, Elaine. This was great. Thank you guys for having me. It was a lot of fun. Our thanks so much to Elaine Glusek for hopping on the podcast this week. Um, A lot of great info there on the cheap flight alerts, what's going on, the 36 hours. Could you believe she's written for like over 75 publications, including a a couple of years at Condé Nast? It's pretty amazing. She's, She's written everywhere. I mean, I think being a freelance writer is like, it's such a hustle. Like, you, you really have to work your tush off. Yeah, and she's been doing it forever. Um, the majority of her work is now in the New York Times. So as she mentioned, uh, she writes a lot of stories there. If you uh, click on the travel section, you're going to see her name at the top. Um, she does the Frugal Traveler. She does the 36 Hours. Um, she told you about at the end a uh, couple of things coming out this week that she has. So, Some big Airbnb news. Right. She's, she's on top of all the news in the travel world, and that's why we wanted to have her on uh, to discuss just a couple of things and give you a broad overview of what's going on in the space. So thanks very much uh, to Elaine. If you want to go back and listen to any of the previous podcasts, it's easy to do. Whether you're listening right now in iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, just click on Available Episodes, download it, rate, review, and subscribe. Five stars, of course. Um, if you guys have any feedback, if you want to get in on those fall travel deals, use your points and miles that you've been saving up, go to the website, theitinerarytravel.info, send in a message, um, and we will get back to you and get you the best value out there. Um, so that's it. That's all we got for this week. Thanks so much for joining us on episode number 33. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.